going to look at one of the scariest passages in the New Testament. And it's not scary because like God's like judging somebody or doing something like that. It's scary because it's so easy for us to fall into what's happening here. So Luke chapter 4, Jesus, he's in his hometown of Nazareth. It's like a family reunion. All the people there know him. And the tradition in the synagogue was they would stand up and they would read from an Old Testament scroll. It wasn't the Old Testament then. It was the only testament that they had. He would read from a scroll is what the uh, rabbi would do. So we pick it up in verse 16, Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. In other words, it's his hometown. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. So he's going to be reading from Isaiah chapter 61 here. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Now we're quoting the Old Testament here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the end of the quote. Verse 20. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus, he's in his hometown. He, uh, he reads a passage that's about the Messiah. And he says, that passage that I just read, it's about me, sits down, which is the equivalent of the first century mic drop right there, basically. Next verse, verse 22. And all spoke well of him. I want you to see the reaction. Everybody's having a positive reaction to this. And they marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. So um, everyone's witnessing in his heart, you know what? This, is the, this passage is talking about Jesus. They're marveling at it. This is the Messiah that was talked about. This is him. And so, um, hold on. You know what? I just turned something on there. And so, and I, I like how the New King James says it. It says, they all bore witness. In other words, it's like, yes, this is true. This is what's going on. And, uh, and they, they were being impacted by gracious words. In other words, grace is God's empowering presence. They're recognizing God's on this thing. Not only is this passage true, we're bearing witness to it, but we're experiencing God as he's talking. Are you guys seeing this scene here? This is powerful. So they're stunned by what he has said. It's genuine. God's presence is here. Then here's what happens. Um, uh, is we're getting ready to see here in just a second. Do you remember that passage in uh, Mark that says that Jesus could not do many mighty miracles because of their unbelief? Do you guys remember that passage? This is the same story. So Mark's going to give us, we're going to get back to Luke here in a second, but Mark's going to give us a little different angle of what's going on here. So Mark chapter 6, you can just look at the screen. Jesus went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. There's the reaction again, saying, where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are they not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So they're stunned. Guys, it's the same scene. Things are going on. It's awesome. They're like, hold on, didn't we go to high school with this guy? Like, wasn't he in our science class? Verse 4, and Jesus said to him, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. In other words, he's honored everywhere else except at home. And among his relatives and in his own household. Verse 5, and he could do no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. It's the same scene. People are sitting here. They're, they're being impacted by his words. And, uh, there, were, there was a point where they were open, and he began to do miracles. And then they raised the question, hold on, isn't this Joseph's son? Okay, now let's go back to Luke with that in mind. Luke chapter 4, verse, uh, verse 22. And all spoke well of Jesus and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his lips. And they said, isn't this Joseph's son? 
And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say unto you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. In other words, prophets are honored except where people are familiar with them. How many of you guys have heard that phrase, familiarity breeds contempt? Right? And so, um, listen, God always wants you to first learn how to minister at home where you're not honored. Because if you only minister where people don't know you, you can, you can get addicted to honor. This is always God's way. This is, and so, uh, it's just interesting. It's easy to build a lifestyle where your ministry develops where people don't know you. Where you can be the guest speaker. Where you can go into foreign countries and be a missionary. And, you know, go on missions trip. And it's awesome. It's awesome. But God wants you to learn how to do it here where people aren't like, yay, thank you for coming and visiting us with your best message and your missions. Right? How are we doing? Honor is a kingdom principle, but honor in the wrong hands is very destructive. Many people sitting here, you've got big ministry dreams, you've got big visions. If you don't, just stick around a while, you will. And the glory on your life is more than you can comprehend. But too many people, they're sitting here, they're waiting on some big ministry position, some big opportunity, some big stage, then they'll start ministering. And God's like, no, 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 that's not how it works. You start ministering when nobody's looking. If there's a dirty toilet in the restroom, you've got a ministry opportunity. There's a piece of paper you're walking by. You're like, ah, I'm too good for that. That's where you learn it, gang. Ministry always starts at home where you're not going to be rewarded. <laughs> My pastor, Cletty, he says, you have no more ministry to Christ's bride than you do your own. Apparently, the ladies didn't hear that one. I would have thought there would have been a few more female voices. I guess because the 50 of them are at the retreat right now. That's why they're not even them. You have no more ministry to Christ's bride than you do to your own. Bobby Connor, he made a stunning statement. We've become over-familiar with a God we barely know. Here's the thing, guys. We can become so familiar with the things of God, things like healing and provision, that we actually shut ourselves off from the power of them. I believe in healing. I believe in prosperity. We can become so familiar with the doctrines and the environment and agree with the teachings and amen the principle but not experience the power. And so I grew up in a denomination that in their doctrine was healing, and we never saw healing. And so every week we would, uh, uh, you know, it just kind of had its own liturgy, which, you know, whatever, that's fine. And so, it was, you know, two fast songs, three slow songs. And so it would be two fast songs, and then right in the middle of the, of the first slow song, they would call up the uh, pastors of the church. We'd show up there in our suits, and um, we would all pray for the sick, and nobody ever got healed, like ever, like, like years of like 52 weeks a year, we're praying. And I was, it was a discouraging time. I'm going to admit, like we were catching their sicknesses and they were getting sickner as we were praying. It was like, it was like a terribly discouraging time. All right. We're just, you know, and so what is that called? Um, that's called religion. Religion is form without power. It looks like we're doing the right things. We say we believe in healing the sick, but we can't actually manifest the reality of it in our life. God's not looking for us to get an A on the test. He's looking for us to manifest the reality of his world into this world. If we say we believe something, but we cannot manifest the evidence of it, we have some growing to do. Nobody needs to feel guilty, but we need to recognize it. Recognizing that is a perfect place to start. Recognizing, saying, you know what, it's in the book, it's not fully in my life, and so God help me to grow up into that. No one needs to feel guilty, no one needs to start pointing to people, and yeah, so-and-so needs to hear it, no, I need to hear it. And I'm guessing you might need to hear it too. God opposes the proud, but what do the humble get? They get grace. 
God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives his empowering presence to the humble. Isn't that interesting? And so Jesus, in the next verse, he's about to give two illustrations from the Old Testament, which if it wasn't Jesus giving these illustrations, it would be mean. <laughs> if he's about to give these, you're like, oh, man, he is smoking their britches right now, okay? Verse 25, right after he had just got done saying, um, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown, he's going to give two examples of Old Testament prophets who weren't accepted in their hometown. So they had to go somewhere else to do miracles. You guys ready for this? Verse 25, this is Jesus. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And so uh, what's the story? Uh, Oh, yeah, let's continue. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, which was a city, and the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. He's like, listen, there was a whole bunch of needs in Israel, but the prophet couldn't do any uh, miracles there. He had to go far away to somewhere else. Remember, the context of this is prophets having no honor. Verse 27, And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. He was outside of Israel. If you were to, uh, like I said, if you were to just read these stories and teach on them and say, and, and make the application, oh, the prophets weren't honored, so they had to go out. It would, I mean, it would sound really mean. But Jesus here, he's pulling from that and saying, this is exactly what happened, all right? Um, Jesus is bringing it up. And so for God to go outside of Israel to release miracles was, first of all, stunning to anybody to get that kind of revelation, right? Uh, it, was during the, it was during the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, everything was directed towards Israel. They had the covenants in the people, they, you know, they, they were called proselytes. They, they converted to, is, uh, to um, you know, Judaism, to, to that whole thing. When Jesus came to his earthly ministry, he turned to his disciples and said, listen, don't go to the Samaritans. Don't go to the Gentiles. We must first reach the lost of Israel. So Israel was the complete focus here. And the prophets, they set the example. The number one priority was Israel. Jesus sets the example. The number one priority was Israel. Yet when God wanted to demonstrate the um, miraculous, he had to go to a Gentile widow. Two Gentile widows, actually, in this thing. A a, a Gentile widow into a a commander of a foreign army in order to do miracles. Are you guys seeing the shock of this? It's all about Israel, but when I wanted to do miracles, I couldn't do anything there. I had to go somewhere else. Why did he go to the Gentile widow? Because God saw something in her heart that was so receptive to the kingdom that he was able to release that miracle of supernatural provision. Same was true in Elijah. There was a lot of lepers in, uh, in Israel that needed healing, but he didn't release it on any of them. He had to go outside the land. Why? Jesus tells us why. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. What's the point? In the absence of a culture of honor, you can live in the midst of absolute spiritual wealth and die in absolute spiritual poverty. There's something that happens with familiarity. I remember, um, you know, years ago, I used to get asked to speak a lot locally on healing. We would go and do healing. And so we had a lot of people that kind of traveled with us and did something. And uh, there was this uh, one lady, and um, her name is, I'm not going to give her name. And so she, uh, I remember I got up there one night. And so obviously, not obviously, a lot of times I would share very similar teachings when I go from church to church, kind of a basic teaching. So the people who had traveled had heard that message multiple times, perhaps could even teach it better than me. Let's just be honest, okay? And so I remember I went to, I went to a teach, and she said, uh, kind of like with a snarl. She wasn't being joking. It was kind of mean. She says, so you're going to teach us anything new tonight? And um, it's like, no, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. And um, it's interesting because um, I, I just... 
I had never seen her actually pray for somebody and them get healed. When she needed healing, uh, she didn't actually ask anyone from the church for prayer. She just went to the hospital and, and got it. And I want you to see that it was like she was in the midst of all these other people getting healed, but she wanted something that would tickle her ears and intellectually stimulate her, even though she couldn't release the reality of it. She wanted something more intellectual. You see what I'm saying? There, there was no honor for what God was doing. Let me contrast that with Ryan Myers. Where's Ryan Myers? Is he here? I saw him earlier. He's in the lobby. All right. He's doing lobby ministry. And so, um, yeah, Ryan is here with, uh, I think, six of his kids and his wife's on the retreat. So, well, you know what? Let's just bless Ryan right now. And he was on the worship team somehow. I think he had the kids locked in the car with the windows rolled down or something. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't do that. So Ryan, he traveled on, uh, he, he traveled on the, uh, with us a lot of those times. And I'm not kidding. Every time I spoke, Ryan would uh, text me that night and say, Jim, man, what you said tonight was so fresh. I needed to hear it. It was literally the exact same thing that he heard the week before, the week before that. And Ryan has seen dozens and dozens of people heal and actually helped us establish that culture of healing at Zion in those early years. What was the contrast? Same message, same environment, but one had a heart of honor that had a humility to it and was actually able to release the truth of it. The other one says, what are you going to do for me now? You got anything new for me? It's recognizing and honoring the Spirit of God, even though the messenger is familiar. How are we doing? I remember uh, when I first started going after healing, it was very intellectual. So I was back in my Pharisee days, early 2000s, and that lasted longer than I wanted to. Started in the 90s. Anyway, <clears throat> so... Uh, and so I'm really going after it. And so I had the doctrine of healing pretty much. I haven't really changed my, my theology on it. I couldn't get it to work. Nothing was happening. And there was these two, um, there was a father and son hairdresser in the church, Mike and Bobby. And they had very six, thick southern accents. They did not have um, formal education. I had two master's degrees, thousands of books, was very proud, very, loved to argue with people. And... Um, and I'm looking at these guys, and they, every week they have stories of healing as people who are sitting in their chairs as they're cutting their hair, styling their hair. They would pray, and like, healing is working like crazy for these simple fishermen, right? For, the, for these guys who had been with Jesus, but they didn't have all the theology and all the blah, blah, blah that I had had. And I remember getting into a debate with these guys, and I was, uh, <laughs> it was so stupid. And so I'm arguing with these guys about healing, and I'm showing them how they're wrong about this stupid, minute point, and I'm disgusted by them. I'm disgusted by them. You know, they, 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 you know, they're uneducated. They don't know what I know. And yet healing is working for them, and it's not working for me as I'm standing there in my suit 52 weeks a year praying for people. And so um, I remember... Uh, I, I mean, I don't remember like the exact instant, but it was like, God was like, Jim, <laughs> tap, tap, tap on the shoulder, um, reality check. These guys, they love me, and it's working for them, and you're, you're trying to, art, you know, and so I remember I, I, I felt like the Lord wanted me to do this, or maybe I just did it, and I just said, guys, I have been full of pride, and uh, you guys, obviously, it's working for you, and it's not working for me. I said, I need you to pray for me. First of all, will you forgive me for my arrogance? And so I'm a pastor on staff, you know, they're in the congregation. Will you forgive me for my arrogance? They were so gracious. They were just, you know, I mean, they had already been Jesus to people every day, and they were being that to me. And uh, they said, Jim, can we pray for you? And they laid their hands on me, and there was something of the Holy Spirit that was on their life that conferred into me. I'm not typically someone who feels the electricity, who feels the stuff. I felt something that day from these simple fishermen. 
who had been with Jesus and could demonstrate it. And, uh, you know, I, I did not see any miracles in my life until that point when I humbled myself, got past the offense of the familiar of these guys, and, uh, and said, you know what, I need what you have. You have Jesus, I've got theory. How we doing? Here's the tragedy. Familiarity actually keeps us from the grace of God that rests on each person's life. Boy, it's easy to honor the, uh, the person with the ministry named after them and travels the world, but the person sitting next to us, that's a little bit more familiar. It's a little bit more offensive. If we understood the Christ who lives inside of them. So uh, I think it was a year or two ago, Mary and I went to India. Sean had gone there before uh, to this uh, ministry school, and uh, it, was, it was a YWAM-based youth with a mission, the training missionaries there, and they had their first school of supernatural ministry. Sean actually helped kind of uh, model the whole thing out. It's really cool. And we took Rachel with us from our church, and so um, we I did a whole week on healing. We taught on healing morning, afternoon, evening for five days in India. And I'm not sure if you realize this, um, in India, they serve Indian food, which you know, for me, salt is a spice, and so it was a, it was a challenge. I literally brought six pounds of protein bars uh, with me, and I, I just I survived off of those things. But that's a whole other story, <clears throat> and the roaches. And so, um, anyway, so anyway, so we're there, and we're teaching on healing, and there's this one guy who just, you know, just some people just kind of stick out. He was like the most depressed guy in the room. I mean, shoulders slumped, head, you know, and just slow speech, and he didn't want to be there. He's like, you know, I'm not even supposed to be here. I came to visit my wife, and she's taking me to this thing. And, and his wife was raised in a leper colony, so just to give you a little context there. And so we're preaching on healing, and so we would, uh, we would practice healing, right? We would teach on it. They would practice on it. And so um, he had, his knee was all jacked up. I don't remember what was going on with it, but it wasn't, it wasn't good. And every time he would get praying, it didn't work. It seemed like his depression sunk a little bit lower. You know, it's like the shoulders were slumped. So by like day four, like he's, he's barely getting out of bed. Like, I'm just watching him. I'm like, oh God, like do something with this poor guy. It's so depressing. And so one time I'm like, um, I, don't, I don't know what we were doing, but I'm like, hey, let's see if anyone's got a leg short and let's pray for him. And so, because um, they hadn't really, you know, they're in their groups seeing some stuff, but they hadn't all seen it. And so I'm, I'm drawing it like this, but it's, uh, it was probably like an inch or two, you know, uh, the foot was short, so we had a person sit in the middle, everyone gathers around, and everyone saw the leg grow out, and you could hear this gasp, and you could feel faith rise, and so I was like, hey, why don't everyone partner up, and you know, maybe the chances are one of the, out of the two of you got a leg short, and let's do it. So the guy who's depressed partners up with this guy who has a deformed foot. So not only was his leg short, but his foot was deformed and turned in, completely misshapen, and the leg was probably, no lie, three or four inches short. And so I'm like, oh, you know, like, I got no faith for that. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to avoid that side of the room as we're going over here. And just being honest. And so um, remember, this guy had seen nothing. He is completely depressed, you know. His knee, you know, you know he's, he's hurting as he's bending down to pray for it. So the guy's sitting in the chair with a, with a deformed foot, and he holds it up, and he begins to pray, and um, the foot undeforms. I don't know how else to describe it. He had his, he had his uh, shoes off. The foot undeforms and turns back to normal, and then the short leg grows even with the current leg. And so, um, yeah, yay God. And so uh, he's yelling, Jesus is using me for healing right now. Right now, in my hands, Jesus is using me. Like, it lights a fire in this guy like you cannot believe. I mean, that's pretty miraculous. Your first miracle, undeformed foot, you know, leg growing. 
and uh, he stands up, he prays for his knee, his knee's healed. Are you ready for this? He is now doing healing crusades in India. He's going to the leper colonies. He's going to villages and stuff like that. So he'll send me like these pictures of all these people like holding up their crutches and wheelchairs. I'm like, that's more than we're seeing. Like, that's awesome. You have no idea who's sitting next to you because the Christ in them is sitting next to you as well. Familiarity leads to unbelief, which can shut down the supernatural activity in heaven. And we can do the same thing. We can bring in guest speakers, we can tell healing testimonies, we can teach on healing, we can offer healing chairs and healing rooms and healing trainings and whole quarters in the Columbus School of Supernatural Ministry on healing. But if we don't soften our hearts and feed on it, we can become familiar and lose the power of what Jesus paid for. So let me tell you, the secret of staying encouraged every day of your life is to keep your attention on what God is doing and not be offended on what he hasn't done yet. If you feed on what he hasn't done, you're going to build a case for why it's justified for you to have unbelief. So we feed ourselves on what he is doing, not what he hasn't done yet. Uh, now, John chapter 5, there's a miracle in the pool of Bethesda where Jesus goes to... Uh, so the pool of Bethesda was like a hospital, and uh, they were kind of waiting for something supernatural to happen. And so there was this big pool, and there was kind of a legend that was told that an angel would come and stir the waters, and the first person in gets healed. So they got all these sick people sitting on the edge hoping to, I don't like... Drop in. I don't know how they're, what they're hoping to do. We're not really told. And so there's a, there's a man who's uh, paralyzed there, and Jesus goes to this guy and prays for him, and he's healed. And I want you to get this. So we're only told that Jesus heals. Well, let's just say there's 20 people at the pool. All right, let's just say that. The Bible celebrates the one who was healed. Today, we would want to know, what about the other 19? What happened with them? If the newspapers showed up, they would interview the other 19 people and say, how does it feel to be passed by by Jesus? Here's what the Bible does. The Bible wants you to celebrate the one so that you can become the answer to the other 19. We don't want to create a theology out of absence rather than on activity. We don't create a theology on what he hasn't done yet. We feed ourselves on what he has already done and is doing. This is why testimonies are so important. I remember, uh, uh, I'm about to name drop here. I want you guys to brace yourselves. You guys ready for this? Uh, Mary and I got to meet with Bill Johnson. He asked me to mentor him. No, that actually never happened. He did not ask me to mentor him. It's completely foolish. But uh, we did get to meet with Bill. And so uh, we were talking to someone beforehand, and they said, you know, um, Bill Johnson's heard a lot of the different testimonies of your church. Why don't you just remind him of a couple? So I'm a little bit nervous, you know, and you know, trying to make a good impression of my hero. And uh, so I get there, and so I'm like, well, hey, Bill, you know, um, uh, Danny asked us to share a couple testimonies with you. And so I'm, I'm bullet pointing them to him. You know, we've seen blind eyes from birth open. We've seen people get out of wheelchairs. We've seen metal dissolve out of bodies. We've had over a dozen people raised from the dead. So I'm just kind of bulleting them like that fast, a little bit nervous. And I don't know how to describe it, but Bill was feeding on those testimonies. Like, I've seen people who had good listening skills, and they looked like they were paying attention. Bill was not exhibiting good listening skills and paying attention. He, I, I can't do what he was doing, but it was something like he was going, oh, that's so good. Oh, yes, Jesus. I mean, he's literally taking them in. What's he doing? He's feeding on those things. So many people today, they're feeding on the news. How do you know if you're feeding on something? If it's giving you an emotional reaction. If you're watching the news, if you're feeding the news, if you're looking at the Facebook feeds, if you're letting the Instagram ads, Instagram. I'm not saying be ignorant. I'm saying don't feed on your ignorance. <laughs> 
Don't anchor your beliefs, your emotions, what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. Don't anchor all that in this visible realm only. And we want to celebrate what God is doing. We want to, we want to, you want to know just enough to know how to pray. But if it's affecting you emotionally, you need to turn that thing into a prayer real quick so you can get heaven's perspective. Because heaven's not up there depressed. I'm not sure if you realize, but Tuesday we have an election coming up. Maybe you've heard. Maybe you've been getting the texts from the different candidates. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, how does he know my number? And so... Um, yeah, it's, so it's super important, you know, I mean, uh, you know, there, there's definitely two different visions of America, if you listen to the agendas, and so um, pray and seek God, which one uh, mostly aligns, and, and vote. Not voting is the same thing as voting for the other person. Anyway, and so I want you to understand this. Heaven is not depressed or impressed with either candidate. They're, they're not operating through the, our hope is not in a political candidate. I'm not saying it can't make things easier. It can't improve conditions for different groups of people, um, uh, different tax situations, uh, you know, economically. <clears throat> and so um, I'm not saying those things aren't reality. I'm saying we can't feed ourselves on that. Christianity thrived under the most, one of the most oppressive regimes under Rome. They're literally crucifying people who would uh, politically disagree with them. And I'm not using that as a metaphor of like, oh, you have something written about you, or your Facebook pants get, uh, pants, Facebook, <laughs> they're going to de-pants you on Facebook, that's what they're going to do. Like literally, like you disagree with them politically, crucify them, whip them, beat them, now they're doing it metaphorically, but they actually did. Christianity thrived in that environment with no budget, no buildings, and no professional clergy, basically. So the kingdom of God does not depend on those things. Keeping my heart anchored in what God has done and is doing positions me to be the answer for what he's about to do. I'm going to say that again. I feel, I feel like that's almost like a song. I feel like I'm a little breakdancing coming on here. So, Sorry, I think I just pulled something. Mm. Keeping my heart anchored in what God has done and is doing, positions myself to be the answer for what he's about to do. But when I fill my heart with what God hasn't done, I create an atmosphere of emotion, stumbling, and unbelief. And I create an atmosphere for offense at God. Remember John the Baptist in the, in the book of Matthew? He sends some friends to ask, uh, ask Jesus, Hey, um, are you really the one? Remember this? John's whole purpose in life was to point people and say, Jesus is the one. Like, that is literally his life, that's his mission statement. My mission statement is to show people that Jesus is the one. Like, that's, that's what he would write down if he went away on a little mission retreat, right? So his whole mission is that. He gets a revelation of it. So remember, um, the whole, the, the God tells him, the one in whom the Holy Spirit rests, he's the one who's going to baptize people in the Spirit. He's the Messiah. So John gets this revelation. He says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He gets it by revelation. But now he's focusing on what God hasn't done because he's sitting in prison, and he's been preaching that Jesus is the one who sets the prisoners free. Are you seeing the tension? <laughs> Hold on. You're the one who sets the prisoners free, and yet I'm in prison, and he begins to feed his heart on these things. Very next verse, Jesus says, blessed is the man who is not offended or does not fall away on account of me. The key to ongoing strength is feeding ourselves on what God is doing and has done. It's interesting, what does Jesus tell him? He says, are you the one? And Jesus says, tell him this, sick are being healed, lame are walking, 
blind or opening. The good news is being preached to the poor. He reminds him of what he has done and is doing. And then he makes this statement, blessed is the man who is not offended because of me. Guys, that's the key. The key to ongoing strength is feeding ourselves in what God is doing and has done. I tell you, this is, uh, these are some of the scariest verses to me because the people of Nazareth, they knew that it was real. It says they bore witness to it. They experienced the empowering presence of God that was released. They knew it was real. They're experiencing God in it, but they became familiar with Jesus and they missed out. So here's what I want to do. I want to just take a moment, and um, I just want us to repent from some familiarity if, if it's come in our heart. And so I'm at the closing point. So I felt like it went fast today. So I, I just want to do that. So if we could just stand, just stand for a moment here. And I'm not even really necessarily going to lead you in a prayer. I'm just going to, uh, I'm just going to give you some space for it. But if you're recognizing, you know what, I've become, some, I've become somewhat familiar with the things of God. Maybe you've come into an atmosphere of worship, and eh, it's not really doing much for me. Um, you're making worship all about you. <clears throat> so maybe you've become familiar with worship. Maybe you've become familiar with the presence of God. Maybe you've become familiar with healing or prosperity or just any, any of those type of things. And um, if you'll humble yourself, God will give you grace. Grace is his empowering presence to do what's impossible. So let's just take a moment, repent for that familiarity, and humble ourselves. And uh, yeah, so Lord, we just love you. And so just between you and the Lord, if you, you can pray silently, you can pray out loud. But if, you're, if this is touching your heart, and, uh, and if it's not, ask God to search you and just see. I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad, but I want us to get free from this. Lord, we ask you to forgive us for familiarity, God. We just are, we're sitting in the middle of a spiritual feast. You're so good to us. And so, Lord, we just forgive us for any familiarity. Lord, we humble ourselves and we just recognize we need a fresh touch of your grace. We are not walking in the fullness of everything that you paid for. And so, Lord, we humble ourselves and say, God, we're like helpless children. We need more of you. We need more of you in our families. We need more of you in our government. We need more of you in our election system. We need more of you in our media we need more of you in our entertainment. We need more of you in medicine. Lord, we need more of you in our families, our marriages, raising our children, more of you in healing. God, you're wonderful. And although we want to be people who represent you well, so we humble ourselves and say, God, we need you. We need you fresh. And Lord, let us be people who feed ourselves on what you're doing. Lord, we just thank you for baby K, that you have rescued him from a difficult situation. You've put him with the kingdom family. Lord, I pray that you would bless that young baby. Lord, that uh, just as the prophets of old, you said, before, I ever, before you were ever born, I knew you. <laughs> and so, uh, you, and, uh, Lord, I think that this young boy is uh, set apart for you. And so, Lord, we bless him. Lord, we just thank you for the boys who are about to go into the uh, Fresh Start program. That, Lord, you're not going to just uh, help them get from the negative to neutral. Lord, you're going to raise them up to be champions. Lord, they're going to be like arrows in a warrior's quiver, sent out to extend the influence. And so, Lord, I thank you that they're going to change uh, generations, that they're going to raise children's and children and children's children who are going to be champions for you. So we just honor that. I pray that from the moment they step on that property, they would experience a shift, that there would be the presence of God will be so strong. 
Lord, we thank you for the Burgess House of Hope, that you have planted them as an outpost of the kingdom to shine God's goodness. And Lord, I thank you for protecting them. But Lord, we pray for more resources. Guys, I think about this all the time. Uh, the Bible says we overcome evil with good. And I always think this, what if the only thing our city needs is more goodness? So, Lord, let us be people who are about our Father's business. We're turning our dollars into soldiers to accomplish kingdom purposes. So, Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing. Lord, we thank you for the, uh, the eight women who were rescued out of human trafficking and went through the program. Unbelievable. Lord, we bless them. Lord, I pray for, uh, I, I thank you that some of them are entrepreneurs, and they're going to start businesses that are going to employ other women. They're going to create atmospheres of discipleship just by the way they run their businesses. So, Lord, I pray that you would connect them with resources, that you would give them healing and wholeness. We bless them. And, Lord, for the people who need a physical touch, if you're comfortable with this, just put your hand on, on your neighbor's shoulder, and you, don't, you may not even honor what you're carrying, but in the name of Jesus, be made whole. Most people in here, they would need some type of healing touch. Be made whole in the name of Jesus. Just focus on the Lord. He said he gave you authority in, uh, over sickness, and just release that. You don't even need to know what's happening. Be made whole in the name of Jesus. I thank you for tooth problems. I thank you for back problems being healed. Thank you for shoulders being healed. Thank you for knee pain leaving right now. I thank you for that person who's having a hard time uh, making a grip in their hand. They're worried they've got arthritis. Lord, I just thank you that you're loosening that right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we bless you. For the person who's having swallowing problems, Lord, I just thank you that you're restoring that right now. And Lord, for that man in India, guys, I'm just blanking on his name. It was like Anush or something like that. It was a different, it was like an Indian name. Lord, I bless him and his wife. <laughs> Give them the resources. Lord, I thank you that you've made him to be fearless. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Sit down for one second. We're going to do one more thing. Well, you know, I just thought of one more story about that guy. So he, um, he used to be involved in ISIS. And so, he, um, and so anytime someone would mention God, he would go get his gun from their house, put it through their head, and, uh, and get them to renounce God and, uh, and on the spot. And so... Um, and so when God saved him, it was like that same fearlessness uh, just came upon him. Isn't that just cool? He went from ISIS to apostle. I mean, that's just, it's just a good idea. So I cannot believe I can't remember his name. All right, we've got one of our best uh, here uh, this morning. So Emily, Shin, Shindle Decker, come up here, Shindle D. So Emily's one of our missionaries, and um, she is a missionary in a, in, a, in a spot that really needs Jesus. And so because of where it is, we're just going to keep that part private. And uh, she's getting ready to go back. She had a little sabbatical and, uh, and that. And so just kind of catch us up on that, and we're going to pray her out. And uh, we're also going to, you're going to have ways that we can support you financially. All right? Okay, so hey, tell everybody hi. Tell us what's happening. Hi, everyone. Um, I just wanted to say it was so good to see you all. I've been here for um, the last few months. I've been in physical therapy for my knee. I had surgery last year and went back to the Middle East uh, a little too early last year. So I've been back in, in um, physical therapy and I got released. Um, well, I'll finish uh, November 13th and then I'll head back overseas on the 20th. So um, I'm really excited to go back. Uh, I miss my home there. I miss my friends and, and people like family, but I will really miss all of you. Um, COVID is on the rise there, so I'm going back into um, a lot of not as much lockdown situation as I probably described here before, but um, I'll be working in refugee camps 
and um, people who have uh, run away from ISIS and have survived ISIS. So I work with children with disabilities um, and work with physical therapy with them, ironically. And um, uh, sharing the gospel with these families, and I know I've shared about it here before, but um, we're together as a team doing more vision planning and things like that, and just really excited for what God is what God is going to be doing in these next, you know, season, few months or years. And so I just wanted to say thank you all for all your financial and prayerful support. You guys are amazing, and um, I just am so humbled by your generosity. Thank you. How can anybody not love this girl? She's awesome. So, so good. We're gonna...